uh, in my role as the chaplain to uh, the Victorian cricket team. I got to travel with them to the, uh, to the Pura Cup final up at the Gabba in, in Brisbane. And I never travelled with them before other than to uh, special events interstate, but never to see them play. And on this particular day, it was kind of fun because I got to go on a plane and I always get a little bit excited when I get to go on a plane. And uh, I got to arrive at the ground and I had a special pass that got me into everything around the ground. Big, strong Queensland security men would come up to me and say, excuse me, you're not allowed to go in there. And I'd pull out my pass and I'd say, hey, access all areas and uh, backstage pass and they'd walk me through. So I found myself in all these really privileged positions. You know, I'm wandering through this hall where I wasn't meant to be. I was in these rooms that I'd never knew even existed. And uh, I ended up in the briefing room just before the Victorian players were to go out and play. And uh, normally the chaplain isn't in the room when the coach and the captain are speaking to the guys just before they go and play. But on this particular day, I was. And Greg Shippard is the coach and uh, he was uh, revving them up, ready to play. Now, if you were to think of the most dynamic communicator you've ever seen or heard, you know, the kind of person who you can share a coffee with and you leave feeling as if you've just had a time with one of those motivational speakers and you just feel ready to take on the world. Think of that speaker move 100,000 kilometres the other direction and you've got how exciting Greg is to listen to. Uh, he, he there is just monotone, no stories, quite unexcitable. But on this particular day, something strange was happening while he was talking and, and you could just feel the whole room lift. He talked about being mo motivated by the possibility. He talked about the privilege of being an elite athlete and you could just see in all the players, all their nerves just kind of uh, dropping from uh, their faces and a confidence uh, coming out in them that you could just feel. Now, you can probably tell I'm not an elite athlete. Um, but even at that moment, uh, as he was motivating, I was looking around for a cricket bat because I thought, you know, if he's made me feel like I could go and get a cricket bat and go and face the Queensland fast bowlers and not be killed. And that would be a victory for a man of my ability. So um, <coughs> we were all feeling this real confidence but I had no idea what would happen once play started that day. I'd never travelled with the team, I'd never been the away team. And uh, to see the hostility that the Queenslanders had towards Victorians was just incredible. Uh, even us who were officials, uh, I was um, wandering around asking a security guard which way I should go and they'd send us the wrong way. Uh, we'd get no help with anything once the game had started. But it was more the players uh, who um, copped much more oppression than me. And the two batsmen went out to bat and the Queensland fast bowlers, they were nasty. They were spitting at them, they were talking at them. It was just incredible pressure. And the Victorian batsman had had a goal that was really simple. And if you're into cricket, you might understand this. If not, you might think that just sounds boring. But their goal was to just get to lunch. They didn't care if they only scored 10 runs. They wanted to get to the lunch break with no one going out. So it made for some pretty boring cricket. If you like seeing sixes and fours hit Today wasn't the day, but it was quite fascinating to watch. It was a real battle. One of the batsmen for Victoria was a young fella. He's only in his first year, and he had fought all morning uh, to uh, not go out to these two nasty fast bowlers. And he, uh, he'd been bruised and battered. He'd come off for drinks and not talk to anyone because he was so tense. And it was just, you could see on his face, he was determined to achieve his goal. His goal was to get through to lunch. And then just 10 minutes before lunch or thereabouts, um, he got a, a somewhat questionable decision and, and he was out. Now, normally when a batsman goes out, the chaplain being me, 
gets right out of the change rooms. I don't want to be hit by flying bats or thrown tables and they probably want to say things that they don't think a chaplain really wants to hear and, and so normally I got out of the room but today I couldn't get out of there quick enough and so he came in. And the thing about this guy is he didn't come in and throw his bat, he didn't come in and start swearing or, or kick anything, he sat down in his chair, took just his helmet off, put his head in his hands and just cried his eyes out. Not just a little sookie, oh no, I went out, it's not fair sort of thing, but deep, deep emotion. And uh, I guess there was a part of me that thought, come on, fella, it's only a game, you know, get over it. But then as I looked, I thought, you know, I'm looking at someone who has been in a real battle, who has got this close to winning that battle and then had victory taken away from them. I'm looking at someone who's been fighting, and, and who's tired from fighting and who did all the work that needed to be done but then didn't get the reward at the end. That's like looking at someone who has been waiting for something for ages, someone who's been patient, someone who's been faithful, someone who's done all the right things and then just before the reward for all that patience and all that faithfulness comes, it was taken away. And so the emotion that I saw wasn't just, a, oh, no, I'm out and now I've got to sit around. It was something much greater than that. Because when you're in a battle, when you've been fighting, it's tiring, isn't it? It's hard work when you, when you have to be a fighter. It doesn't come naturally to do it. There's a part of us that would rather escape. There's a part of us that would rather just stop it hurting. There's a part of us that would just want to avoid conflict altogether. But sometimes, and not just fighting with other people, there are situations where it feels just like a battle. The Bible would give us an assurance in many different places, whether it's the narratives from the Old Testament, the things that Jesus said about what's likely to happen to his followers, even amongst their families, and then later in the New Testament, talking about the spiritual battle that every Christian is in against our enemy, the devil, and our sinful nature. Followers of Jesus need to know that it's likely, very likely, that at some point in life we're going to be in a battle. We're going to have to fight for something. The passage that we're going to look at this morning, it's a very small one. Just a couple of verses, part of a bigger story, but a story in itself. And it's a story about one man that you're going to remember because he's got a name that I'm pretty sure there's no one else here this morning that would have it. His name is Eliezer. Eliezer was one of the three mighty men that King David talked about towards the end of his life. These were people who weren't just normal soldiers who got lucky. They weren't just normal soldiers who happened to be there at the end. These were regarded as the three best soldiers that King David had fought with. Now, when King David, during his time of uh, being in leadership, there were a lot of battles, a lot of wars. And if you were an adult male, you were a soldier. It didn't matter if you were strong. You didn't have to be qualified. You didn't have to do your, your number of weeks of training at boot camp. If you were an adult male who was physically able and not like the last child in a family, you were a soldier. So it's as if everyone was a fighter. And I think for followers of Jesus, this is a, a, an entry point for all of us into this very story because, as I said uh, just a moment ago, at some point we're all going to have to fight for something. We are all going to find ourselves in a battle. And so the words, the story that we look at this morning, my prayer is will not just be me saying, hey, you need to work harder, you need to fight harder or anything like that. I believe this morning the Holy Spirit wants to minister to, to those of us here especially those of us who are feeling tired from the battle. Because we're going to learn some things that Eliezer did 
There were four, three things that I think he had that we've got to make sure we have if we're going to be the kind of people who win battles. But the fourth thing that Eliezer had is something that is available to everyone and it's the best part of all. Because if you go home this morning and you only remember the things that Eliezer did, then, then he would be just another of, of many, many brave people who we could imitate. Just, just a number of, of many, many people who have survived and won and, and then written a book about it so we could copy what they did. It's the, who helped Eliezer that's actually the, the main character in this story. And it's a reminder to us that there is no better helper in life than our King in heaven, Lord Jesus. There is no better resource when things are running out. There is no, nothing that could make us stronger. There is nothing that could give us better leadership. There is no person who could be a better companion than our King in heaven, our Lord God. And he is the central character of this story. It comes from 2 Samuel chapter 23. I'll read uh, a couple of verses. You'll have uh, the middle section of which on your screen. 2 Samuel chapter 23 verses 9 and 10. Next to him was Eliezer, son of Dodai the Ahohite. As one of the three mighty men, he was with David when they taunted the Philistines, gathered at Pastamin for battle. Then the men of Israel retreated. But he stood his ground and struck down the Philistines till his hand grew tired and froze to the sword. The Lord brought about a great victory that day. The troops returned to Eliezer, but only to strip the dead. You know, the first thing that I noticed about Eliezer, that as a person, I think we all need to work hard to imitate, is his courage and his vision. His courage because everybody else was running in the opposite direction to him. You see, if I was entering a shopping centre and everybody who had been in that shopping centre was making their way out the doors, like imagine the chaos of people escaping from something and and I was going into that shopping centre, there would be a part of me that wondered why everybody was leaving. If as I got in there, it was a lot of empty spaces, there were no queues at Kmart or Target or anything like that, I'd be very suspicious. There must be something going on. And for him, that was what was happening here. We're told that everybody else retreated. They ran away, but he stood his ground. He had courage. Now, you've got to remember, the people who were running away, they were running away for good reason. The Israelite people were fighting a really big army, an army that was stronger than them, fresher than them, and had had a little bit of success in the lead-up if we were to look more broadly into other things that would tell us about the story. There was good reason for them to escape. And in the battles that we might find ourselves in, there are times where we just want to run away, aren't there? There are times where it's really tiring, where it's been really hard, or victory is like not even an option, so let's just find a way to escape and and minimise the harm. Most people retreated, but his courage kept him there. I would also argue that, that he had a vision as well, and that that vision was actually the source of his courage. You see, Eliezer, as a soldier, as, with the high rank that he had, he would have known that to lose that battle would have meant huge things for his people. It would have affected the way that the people viewed God. It perhaps would have raised questions of, is God really for us? Is God really faithful? Is, if God really loves us, then, then why are we losing? Why are we suffering? To lose that battle would have said heaps of things to the people of God about who God was like. And Eliezer, with a soldier of his rank, would have captured some of that vision and seen that the battle he was fighting that day 
was about more than just that day. And so his vision, his understanding that this is more than just one little tiff. This isn't just a little battle that, you know, if we lose today, we'll come back tomorrow and win. That vision gave him a courage that said, hey, even though everybody else is going, I will stay. Now, to understand what it means to stand our ground, the Bible would, um, uses that phrase in many different places. And one of the best ways of understanding what that means is to imagine that you're at a surf beach and there's really, really big waves crashing in all around you and you're trying to get out past them. And you know how when they, they hit you, they sort of knock you this way a little bit and then they sort of suck you back out a little bit more and you kind of feel like you're just getting pushed around. But if you're not deep enough in the water, you can reach a point where you can sort of dig your feet in and bury them a little bit and you can actually stand there and withhold all the pressure that's going on around you. That's what it means here to stand your ground. It doesn't mean just to sort of not go with the flow. It actually means to dig in your heels and make a decision that this is where I will stay. And it takes courage to do that sometimes, particularly when everybody else is going the other way. You know, sometimes we hear a message like this and it's automatically simply applied to kids and teenagers where we think that, oh, you know, they've got to be careful of peer pressure. Just because everyone's running in a certain direction, you know, that's, they need to be strong, they need to be careful. I think it applies to all generations because I've learned as I'm getting older that the majority isn't always right that there are times where a certain point of view, a certain way of understanding something, an opinion that a group of, of my peers might have, that just because everybody thinks it doesn't mean that, that it's true. There's a need to be courageous, to make a stand, and not always be the one who's sticking out and on your own, but not always going with the flow. And there are times where we're with groups of people, where peer pressure is a factor, but I don't think it's just teenagers and young kids who have to battle that and sometimes dig in their heels and stand firm. Eliezer had courage and he had vision. And he added to those two things a willingness to fight. We're told that he stood his ground and he struck down the Philistines. Now, don't take from this that I'm wanting you to go over to the plaza, buy swords and start fighting each other this afternoon. That's not the point at all. What we're looking at though is the attitude. He was a soldier. It was his job to fight. Um, that was what he did and he did it well he made it into the three mighty men the attitude of being willing to fight is sometimes called tenacity sometimes called um, various other things along those lines but uh, probably the best way of explaining it is for me to tell you about uh, my wife Anna and our cat uh, his name is Tigger and uh, Tigger loves most things in our house I think he likes us too uh, but one thing he hates with a passion is our Christmas tree at the start of December last year, we put the Christmas tree up and Anna does a great job, decorates it all beautifully and lots of beads and tinsel and balls and all sorts of things on it. And um, the cat, the moment we put it up, Tigger hated it. You could just see it on his face. You know how cats get down and wiggle a little bit and sort of look at it like they're going to pounce on it? That's the look he had in his eye as soon as the thing uh, was up. And uh, he spent the next 25 days trying to destroy the thing. We'd come home and there'd be tinsel on the floor, little balls in all sorts of places around our house. He'd pulled them off. The candy canes, there weren't many left by Christmas Day. They'd been destroyed. The lights had been pulled off once or twice. He was just a menace. He was totally unlike his normal self. He hated this thing. And then on uh, Christmas morning, early, uh, we hear this almighty crash from our lounge room, loud enough to wake us up and make us go, what was that? And we go out to the lounge room and there's Tigger, in the middle of our tree, which is now laying on the ground. And he's not looking sad or worried. He's got a look of, 
I've defeated my foe, all over his face. <laughs> we did a little bit of CSI work and we discovered that what he'd done is he jumped up on a, 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 a like mantelpiece sort of thing that we have our TV in. He would have crawled across the top of that, launched from the top of that into the tree and taken it down like he'd tackled it to the ground. And he wasn't scared one bit. There was a look of satisfaction on his face that said, I have won. And if he could dance, he would have done a little victory dance, uh, I'm sure. See, our cat had a willingness to fight. He saw it and he said, I want to take that down. Willingness to fight can be misinterpreted many ways. It doesn't mean that we need to start disagreeing with everybody in life. It doesn't mean that we need to pick fights or look for opportunities to be the opponent. It doesn't mean that we need to become the devil's advocate in every conversation to do with church. Willingness to fight refers to being willing to take up and, and care about a cause that God has set before us, to take seriously the, the fact that God would want us to, to chase after purity, to not see pure thoughts and a pure heart as just an optional extra, but to be willing to fight for such things. Sometimes a willingness to fight transfers to a willingness to fight for a relationship. How many friends do we lose and, and we actually can't remember a point where that friendship ended? You know, they just sort of drift away. How many people leave church and stop a, a connection with God and we can't actually remember their last service, but they're no longer in a relationship with him? Most of the time it happens gradually, slowly, as if they're on a, a slippery water slide or something like that. I think a willingness to fight would say, hey, I will fight for relationships like that. I will fight for my relationship with my wife, my relationship with God. Nothing will come between me and God and the importance of me being in a walk with him. I think sometimes we need a willingness to fight for our church as well, to stand against criticism of it, to stick up for the people who are involved. It doesn't mean that we just agree and become passive, but sometimes we need to take seriously that this is the people of God and we are a part of that body. There are times when we're so scared of conflict or we misunderstand, you know, what it means to, to be in a situation that might require a fight or battle in our life that we become too passive. And phrases like God is in control or I need to wait on God, while they are good, true things, there is a danger that sometimes they become things that we hide behind and excuses for being apathetic or lazy. There are some times where we need to have a willingness to fight to say, I'm not going to let this sin just beat me. I'm not going to let this relationship just drift away. I'm not going to let this ministry just die and shrivel up. I'm not going to let that person who I work with never ever hear about Jesus in his whole life. I'm going to be willing to fight for such things. Eliezer was, and I think that's a quality that we need to take on board in the battles that we have. Eliezer added to his courage vision, willingness to fight, a passion. We're told that he, he struck down the Philistines until his hand grew tired, and the text says, and froze to the sword. See, the Holy Spirit didn't come and wrap himself around Eliezer's hand and, and hold it, the sword there for him. It was an act of his will. See, sword was like his most important thing, and if you're in hand-to-hand -hand combat and you lose your weapon, even though I've never fought in a war, I reckon you'd be in serious trouble. And so he held on to that as if his life depended on it. He didn't give up when he got tired. He didn't give up when it started to hurt. We're told that he kept going until his hand froze to the sword, which tells me that what drove him was something that was coming from within. And I would use the word passion to describe that. Now, as a teenager growing up, I think I misunderstood passion in a big way. 
See, I'd often pray for passion or I'd think about passion in terms of my relationship with God or, or the different things I was involved in at a church. I'd think about it as something that I, a feeling that I wanted God to give me. You know, I wanted to wake up in the morning and want to read the Bible. I wanted to, to come to church and want to listen. I wanted to go to school and want to uh, tell my friends about the saviour of my life. And I often prayed for that and there were times where God did bless me with that motivation. But the more I read the Bible, the more I understand what the Bible would teach us about the word passion, the more I realise that I got it wrong. You see, the Bible teaches us that passion isn't a feeling that makes us want to do things. The Bible would teach us that passion is a willingness to suffer for something. Passion is a willingness to work hard at something. Passion is something that we offer to God, not something that he necessarily needs to give to us. And Jesus Christ is perhaps the greatest example of passion in that his commitment to us, those who he wanted to save, those who don't know him yet even now, how did he express passion for them? He laid down his life for them. He suffered for them. And so to be passionate is to do that, to be willing to do the work of sticking with something. Passion, it can just be drained out of your life really quick sometimes. It's as if there are certain relationships, people, activities. It's like they hook up a vacuum to the passion level of your soul and out it all comes and you're left, I've just got to work hard. I'm not feeling any motivation, but I've just got to do it. Eliezer is an example of what the Bible would teach us passion is about. Being willing to work hard for something. Being willing to suffer for something. Passion is an offering to God. Now passion, being willing to fight, courage and vision, in themselves, they're the sort of things you might read in an autobiography that someone else who's been a winner in life has written. They're kind of human qualities that, that are important in the mix of this, but you know what? They're not the key. Because I know a lot of passionate, courageous losers in life. And I don't mean that as an insult, but I know a lot of people who pour their life into the battles that they face, who are diligent, faithful and committed, and they just never seem to get ahead. Eliezer didn't just have those qualities, he had an awesome helper. The last part of the passage I read to you said, the Lord brought about a great victory that day. And a better way of us understanding that phrase, the Lord brought about, is to say the Lord gave him victory that day it's as if he got a little box a little bow on the top of it like we would give a gift to someone else and said here you go i'm going to give you the power to win must be careful to understand that this i'm not saying it's, it's a works-based thing where if we're these things then god will give us these things as we'll learn in the next few minutes god's grace overarches all of that and uh, is important for us to understand but here it was the combination of Eliezer's faithfulness, his standing his ground, his courage, his willingness to fight in his passion and the help of God that brought about a great victory. Now, as I said before, there's no better helper that we could have in life than God. Now, we're not slipping into a Dr. Phil self-help kind of part here because a really important thing to understand is that God's help didn't just make Eliezer feel better. God's help didn't just make him happy. You see, the victory that God's help brought about was a kingdom thing. It affected the whole nation of Israel in a sense. We're still reading about it now in our Bible. That's how important it was. Because God's help is about more than our happiness, about more than our own well-being. It is about much bigger things. 
And that's why, as I said right at the start, sometimes the battles that we fight on a given day are more important than that given day. And hence our need to fight is greater. There are some proofs that I've uh, drawn from this passage that I think prove that there's no better helper you could have in your life than God. And the first is the fact that God didn't need a huge army. Israel were fighting against a huge army, but God didn't need an army of equal size to fight against them and win. The passage tells us that there were one, two or three of them there, not very many. And God makes a habit of using very few people to fight against a whole lot of people. God makes a habit of giving a whole lot of strength to maybe just one person and that one person is able to overwhelm so many bigger things. I think this is really important to anyone who feels as if they are alone in the battle that they're fighting. Maybe you feel as if, you know, you're the only person who knows anything about Jesus in your family and this is a battle that, that I just can't win, I just need to get by. You know, Jesus only needs you there and he might just be able to influence your whole family. You might feel like the only follower of Jesus in your workplace. You might think it's just impossible that Jesus could ever penetrate that place and actually bring people to himself there. We know as long as you're there, he might just be able to do that. He only needs one. Maybe in uh, the sin that, that you struggle with that no one else in this room knows about. You know, that thing that you never quite get over, you have a good week, but then it's waiting for you the following Monday. Hey, how are you? And we're back again. You know, you're not the only one who struggles with that. And God doesn't need a whole army to help you overcome that. But he can give you the strength to win. God only needed the one. He didn't need a huge army. That's one reason why no one can help you more than God can. A second thing that I love about this is that there's nothing particularly special about the environment. We're not told that this was a, a beautiful day where the wind was blowing in the right direction. Eliezer had got out of the right side of the bed and the enemy were tired and uh, the environment was right for this to happen. In fact, the fact that nothing is said about the environment in any of the accounts about this story tells us that it was just an ordinary day, a relatively ordinary battle, but God still chose to bring about victory that day. And sometimes you might feel like life is such a battle that you're starting to think, look, victory will come, but not today. I've just got to get through today. You know, I've learned that Jesus likes to surprise me when he wants to bring about victory. I've learned that sometimes a breakthrough comes when I'm least expecting it. I've learned that sometimes when I plan things for a breakthrough or I plan things to get better, God actually doesn't respond to that. He'll wait until that's been done and I've realised I can't do it in my own strength and then he will come through. God doesn't need a perfect environment and God doesn't need particularly strong people. We're not told that Eliezer was buff, muscly, tall and strong. In fact, he seemed like just an ordinary soldier. It seems as if what set him apart was within, not anything that was visible. So if you're feeling like the fight you're in is one that you're just not equipped to fight, if you feel like you're not smart enough, if you feel like you're just not emotionally strong enough, if you feel like you're just too tired to possibly see victory, then you need to hear this story and know that God doesn't need particularly strong people. And if we hear what the New Testament says, God actually prefers to work with people who are weak because then his strength is more visible. So if you're feeling weak and tired and unqualified and inadequate, you should thank Jesus because you're actually in a place where he's got a great opportunity to shine through you and perhaps bring victory when you just least expect it. Now that doesn't wash away our need to have courage, vision, a willingness to fight and passion. But man, I draw a lot of comfort 
from the fact that God doesn't need me to be particularly strong in order for me to see victory in the battles that I fight. You know, the last thing I see about God as a helper, and this is perhaps a little bit of a side issue, is the fact that at the end of the day when the battle was over, you know, all those people who had run away and left Eliezer to fight that huge army on his own, text tells us that they came back to enjoy the spoils of victory. That meant they got to eat the food. That meant they got the treasure. That meant they got the the comfy rooms in the big place, whatever it meant. They got the spoils of victory. And if I was Eliezer and my hand was still frozen to my sword, I probably would have stood at the gate of that city and said, hey, you bunch of cowards who ran away, you're not enjoying any of this. This is all for me because I was brave. Obviously, I'm not Eliezer. And obviously, God didn't close the door on those people who ran away. But his grace was still the qualifying factor. And even those who hadn't been courageous, even those who hadn't had the passion, the willingness to fight, the vision, even they got to come back and enjoy the spoils of victory. But you know what? If Eliezer hadn't stood in the gap for them, had he not been strong for them, had he not been faithful, had he not kept believing, had he not kept fighting, then they wouldn't have won and they would never have got to enjoy it. And throughout the Bible, we're we're told that followers of Jesus don't need to just look out for themselves, but that it's fundamentally important we stand in the gap for other people who aren't as strong as we are. Followers of Jesus need to to help provide for and care for people who, who are lacking that otherwise in life. Sometimes they need to to be faithful and committed where someone wants to walk away. Sometimes we need to persevere with people who just don't deserve our perseverance. Not just because we're nice people and we put up with everything, but because sometimes for God to help someone else, he needs someone to stand in the gap, just like Eliezer did. You see, you don't just need to be faithful for yourself. Sometimes you need to be faithful for some, some other person. If you're a parent who's got a child who is drifting away from church and not interested in God, you need to stand in the gap for them. I want to urge you this morning, don't quit. Don't give up. God's grace is still the qualifying factor and he needs you standing in the gap. If you've got a friend who's uh, making their way away from God as quick as they can and you feel as if there's nothing you can do and you just need to give up, you need to stand in the gap. God wants to help them, but he needs you to stand there in order that he might be able to reach them. Sometimes, no matter how passionate, courageous, visionary or willing to fight we are, the best we can give just isn't enough. And sometimes we lose, no matter how hard we've tried to win. Now, I just started attending a gym in my area. I wasn't aware of the fact that you know, when they give you a uh, personal training list of things to do that you actually had to take it seriously and, and build up to things. My reckoning was that if it looked like I could pick it up and I could actually pick it up once, then that was the amount that I was going to lift when I did the actual exercises. And so I was my first day at the gym and, and I'd been going around. It was going okay. I was a little bit sore. But then one of the ladies from my church, a lady named Rita, uh, came to the gym and she'd been going for a long time and was very strong. And she had me covered by about 20 years. And so she actually was just in front of me as I was making my way around the different machines. And forgive my pride in this, but there was no way I was going to lift anything less than she lifted. (laughs) There was no way I was going to unhook the little weights and just go, oh, sorry, Rita, you know. 
everything she lifted, uh, I was determined to lift. And uh, we got to the 45 degree leg press. And if you've ever been to a gym before, you know, might know what it is, but it, it's like that. You sit here with your back at this end and your legs straight up. And uh, you release these things on the side and the weight comes back towards you. And then the exercise is to push it back up. I hadn't done this before. My uh, trainer had written on it, you know, that I was to lift a certain weight, which I can't remember at the moment. Uh, but I figured if Rita could lift whatever she had lifted, and there were about eight of those big round things on it at the time, <laughs> I figured that if she could lift it, then I must be able to lift it. And there is no way I'm taking anything off while she's watching because it'll get around the whole church <laughs> and it's just not good. So I, I sit in the seat, I release the safeties, and the best way of describing what happened next is to tell you what I said, and that was, help, as, um, <laughs> as the thing came back, my knees were like next to my ears. <laughs> it was a very, very unflattering position to be in. And I'm pushing, I'm trying to get it up. I've got my hands on it. I'm like, Aah! and nothing was working. And after a little while, you know, the, the most humbling part of this whole exercise was there was no one else I could call to for help but Rita. And so I'm like, Rita? Rita, and she came and she helped me with one hand and uh, we were fine. <laughs> and she helped me uh, to get out. And I didn't feel like a winner that day, let me assure you. I sort of grabbed my towel and sulked out of the gym and, and I thought, all right, maybe that personal trainer was right. That's my goal, to not have to get help from Rita ever again. <laughs> Sometimes no matter what we offer, no matter how much resolve we have, no matter how much courage we have, no matter how much passion we have, we just don't have enough to win the battles that we fight. We need the help of God. And sometimes we can be too proud to ask for his help. Sometimes we can have a sense of obligation that says, no, this isn't in the God helps sphere. This is in the I need to sort this out sphere. And when I sort that out, then I'll go to God with it because I don't think he's really worried about this one. We need the help of God. Eliezer had many great qualities. And I've told you plenty about them this morning. But on their own, they weren't enough. When he combined them with the help of God, when his faithfulness combined with the power of God, that's when the victory came. If any of you this morning are tired from fighting, if you're feeling particularly drained, if you're feeling as if whatever it is that you would call a victory is a million miles away, I want to assure you this morning that God is still your helper. Now, I don't know what it would mean for you to win. It might be for uh, you to be able to get your relationship with God back alive and well and to actually be committed to some things. That might be a win. A win for you might be to, to just have a few good nights of sleep, to not have nightmares and anxiety and other things going on. For you to get a little bit of that up, that might mean a, a win for you. A win might mean to go a week without falling back into your old addictions and those secret sins that no one else knows about, that might be a win. A win might be to, to see someone in your family understand Jesus for themselves and embrace him. A win might be to see your ministry not just part along but, but grow and not numerically but, but actually see the Holy Spirit doing more in it. I don't know what it would mean for you to win but if any of you here this morning are tired from fighting, if your courage is draining and your vision's unclear, if your willingness to fight has become a, more a willingness to, to escape, and if your passion is, is almost dwindled out, I want to give you these words. They come from Psalm 37 verse 5. 
It's a promise that God was making to someone who would be in a battle at some point. And it sums up how we access the help of God. Really simply, it says this, commit everything you do to the Lord, trust him and he will help you. Commit everything you do to the Lord, trust him and he will help you. Psalm 37, 5. Those words and access to that help, that's what gave Eliezer victory that day. Doesn't excuse us from the need to, to live up to our side of the bargain, but don't forget that God will not let you down with the help that he wants to give you. Let me pray to finish this morning. Lord Jesus, we want to thank you.